Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The last time I spoke, it was on the dedicated church or devoted church. And we spoke about the church being devoted to the apostles' doctrine. We're going to follow on with that today with the devoted church part 2 being devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. First, I'm going to give a little recap because it was two weeks ago. So a little recap of what we're talking about here in this instance. And the questions we're to be asking ourselves is, who are we as a church to be? What should we at Heritage be like in our worship? What should we look like in our daily walk in this Christian life? And how are we to focus and live and commune as Christians? How are we to be like Christ as a church community? The church, what had happened here, just in recap, was um, the apostles were preaching and the Holy Spirit came in power upon them and 3,000 people were converted that day and were added to the church. They say, what do we need to do? And, And the apostle Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they did so gladly. These people did so gladly. So the the church is being formed, the New Testament church. And here at this point, they're not called Christians yet. That comes later. They were being called the followers of the way at this point. But you have in Jerusalem a conglomerate of people. You have Jews, you have Greeks, you have people from all different cultures that are coming together in this new community. This is brand new. This has never been done before. This is a new church. And so they decided to together daily, steadfastly, be together in the temple and in each other's homes. And they continued steadfastly, which means to be devoted to, to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So this continuing steadfastly devoting themselves to, we saw was that they were committed to learning the truth of who God was. They were committed to hearing what the apostles had to say. They were committed to the apostles' doctrine, which again is not the apostles' words, but it's the words of Jesus Christ. It's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit upon these apostles. And we today have the same apostles' doctrine in the Word of God. It's the same word to us today that this church had. We also saw that this was a church that was made up of people that were drastically changed. There was a powerful transformation in lives. People that were living in darkness, living in sin, something powerful happens to them. Something changes their lives. Something opens their eyes so that they see that they are sinners in need of a Savior. We see that this church is a church of true believers, of born-again Christians. This wasn't a social club. It was people who had been radically changed, who were coming together with like-minded people to worship God. They were not unequally yoked with the sinful world, meaning that the unrepented and the unbaptized were not a part of the membership of the church, where the... um, the, un, the unsaved welcome in the church? Absolutely, we covered that. We want them to be in the church. We want to, them to hear the gospel. We want them to hear you praying. We want them to hear you singing. We want them to be under the, the teaching of the Word of God so that it may prick their heart. But the church is made up of these born-again believers. 
We also covered that it was not just a saved church, it was a scriptural church. A church devoted to doctrine. Not man's opinions, not the opinions of the world, not the philosophies of the world, but to doctrine, the apostles' doctrine. And by that they were able to grow. This church was able to grow. Not just in numbers, but they were being added to them daily. But this church was growing in knowledge. They were growing in faith through the preaching of the Word. And the preachers were uh, commended by Paul later on with Timothy and Titus. He exhorted them to hold fast the faithful Word as it had been taught to them, of sound doctrine, to exhort, to, to convince the gainsayers. And that the uh, preachers are to be dedicated to this teaching of the doctrine, and you, the church, are to be dedicated to receiving it, to absorbing it, to studying it, and to meditate on it so that you yourself can grow thereby. <clears throat> Excuse me. So now we come to the, <clears throat> the second part. The, uh, they were dedicated, Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. So today we're going to cover fellowship and breaking of bread. Now these people, as we said last time, were not transformed drastically to go become recluses and live as hermits alone. These people were transformed drastically and they came together to worship together, to be with people of like mind, to be with their body, to be with their church family. This walk of Christ that we have in Christ is not meant for us to be alone. We're not supposed to go on it alone because it is a challenging walk. It's a hard walk as this first century church will soon find out when the persecution comes, when Stephen is killed and they start to be scattered. It is a hard walk. So we're to do this together with like-minded brothers and sisters in a community together. That community is this church and other churches like this. We're not the only church out there. There's churches out there. But we at Heritage have committed together to worship together as a part of the Lord's body in this congregation. We've covenanted together to worship together. Verse 46 of our text says that they continued together daily with one accord, meaning one mind and singleness of heart. That means generously as if they were one. So in essence, they looked at each other as I cannot do without you. If you are missing, there's something missing from me. They looked at each other as the body of which they were a part of. And if part of their body was hurting then the whole body should notice. If part of the body was missing, then the whole body should notice. And they did all of this together gladly. They did not get together begrudgingly, wishing that they did not have to meet with those same people every day. They did this with singleness of heart. That means they were completely unified in their thought. They were completely unified in their love for one of one another because they had a common love in Jesus Christ. Now, are all of the people of this church exactly alike? No. You had a lot of historical Jews, people who had been raised in Judaism and the Hebrew faith. You had people from all nations and kindreds and tongues that are now coming together from different cultures, different backgrounds, different countries. 
But here it says that they did this in singleness of heart and one accord. What is going to make a group of people that have nothing in common at all come together every day with such a fervency and a love? Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that brings people together. And we have that here in this church. We're from different backgrounds. We have different, uh, different um, careers, different types of families, big families, small families. We're a very diverse type of people. But there's something that brings us all here together. It's Jesus Christ and our fellowship in Him with each other. That we together are one. That you and I together in this body are one. That if one of you is sick, we all feel it. If one of us is hurt, we all feel it. And we should have all felt it this morning. We've got a lot of members that are out sick. We should notice if someone's missing. I say shame on us if we have somebody missing and nobody knows they weren't there at church. That's not good. We need to know who's here and who's not. Not that we're checking up on people and making sure that they're where they're supposed to be. It's because we care for them, that we love them, that we miss them. That part of my body was missing today. That's how we as a church should be. That's that oneness, that, that uh, one accord, that singleness of heart. And that's the way this church is. And they're doing this on a daily basis. Remember, this is new. This is all new. They're doing exactly what they're being taught by the apostles. And all they know is, I need to grow some more. I need to learn some more. My life has been radically transformed, so I need more teaching. So they gathered together daily. They were in the temple. They were in each other's homes. But they did this together. They truly felt that they were a part of one another. And they acted that way also. And this isn't just a Sunday morning congregation that gives each other the polite hello, asking you how your week was, how's your new job, how are the kids, I'll see you next Sunday. And that's what we often start to see in the churches, and I've been guilty of it myself. Turning into that Sunday morning Christian where you don't even think about the rest of the body till you realize it's Sunday again. And then you come in and say, well, how was your week? You know what? We should probably already know how each other's weeks have gone. Now, I'm not saying you have to be in every single detail of everybody's life at all times. But we need to be bonded together. We need to be communicating. We need to be communing. We need to be praying for one another. And we need to know that we are praying for one another. You know what gives me encouragement during the week? is when someone texts me and says, Brother, I thought of you today and I'm praying. That brings me joy to my heart. It also gives me encouragement to keep studying in the Scriptures because I know that someone out there is praying for me. That's what we as a church need to be. Not just that Sunday morning congregation, but a congregation that truly is a body. So the word here is fellowship. And you're all, you've all heard this word koinonia before. You've heard of K groups, koinonia groups. That simply means fellowship. It actually means a partnership. You are partners together in this walk of life. You're not just a nominal member of a group. You are a partner in this Christian walk at Heritage. If this is where you are, this is your congregation, then this is part of your koinonia group. 
this church. This is your fellowship. And we fellowship with other churches too. We fellowship with like-minded brethren and that's a good thing. But what we have here in our church at Heritage is our own koinonia group as part of the universal body of Christ. We are partners together in this walk. You've ever heard the term birds of a feather flock together? That's what we should be, birds of a feather. We are of the same kind. We should be of the same kind in Jesus Christ. When people see us, they're going to see some differences. They're going to see different hairstyles. They're going to see some people with awesome beards, some people without beards at all. But what should they see in us? That's the feathers. Our love for one another because of our love in Christ. That should be obvious to the world that there's something about this congregation in here that draws us together, that makes us love one another. What about when we're getting on each other's nerves? What about when we're not even the same? We don't like the same stuff. To the world, the thing that would make sense is, well, then you don't get together with that person. But when they see us get together and they see this unity of love, it should make them stop and think, what is it about that group of people that makes them love each other so much? Because we are partners in this walk together. This fellowshipping that they're doing is partnering together in life. Not just partnering together on Sunday morning or a one Wednesday night a month. They're partnering in life. This is your koinonia group. This is your partnership. This is your fellowship. This body. Now, they, not, they, they didn't all have a mutual affection for everything about each other. There's things that we do that may annoy the other. But a great deal of the mutual conversation that we have with each other, that we have together is pointed at, not us, not our likes and dislikes, is pointed at what brings us together, what makes us common, and that's Jesus Christ. These people were close together. They took every occasion they could to meet together, to be together. Whenever you saw one disciple, you saw more. They were always together, constantly together, fellowshipping together. But this fellowshipping is not just me fellowshipping with you and you fellowshipping with each other. In this fellowship of the church, there's something much deeper in the word fellowship and partnership and koinonia. We are fellowshipping with God when we are in fellowship with one another. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We, in fellowshipping with one another, through the truth of the gospel, are in fellowship with Christ. First John continuing, verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sins. So what is that telling? If we are fleeing our sins, if we are running to Christ, 
if we are bathed in His blood, then we are fellowshipping with one another. And that fellowshipping with one another is a fellowshipping with Christ. Because it is Jesus Christ who has brought us together through the cleansing of our sins. And it unifies us together. Sin does not, it cannot remain in the presence of Jesus Christ. So if we're walking in Him, sin cannot keep its grip on you. But if we remain in our sins, as that verse says, we really aren't seeking Him. And this makes us deceitful liars. And then we are not doing what with one another? We're not really fellowshipping with one another. We're not really partnering with one another if we're living in our sins. If we're living in secret sins or open sins, and we're loving those sins, then we are liars and we're not truly in a partnership. But if we are walking in the light as He is in the light, meaning we are running from our sins, we acknowledge that we have sins, that we have repented of our sins, we've been baptized, we're following Jesus Christ, we are searching for Him, we are searching the Scriptures for Him, then are we in fellowship with one another. And in that fellowship, we also are fellowshipping with Christ. We aren't in a true fellowship with Christ nor His saints when we deny our sins by living in the control of our sins. We've lost a partnership with each other in that case. But when we are fleeing from them, we are together And you know what that partnership does in this body? If I start to sin, and you see that Brother Titus is living in a sin, this partnership should go to Brother Titus and draw him from that sin to reach him out of it. That is the koinonia. That is that fellowship. That is that partnering. Say, I promise to you, I partner with you in this fellowship that I will keep you accountable. And you will keep me accountable. And we will lift each other up. We will pray for one another. And we will live in community together through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because that is what has brought us together. One of the true marks of our ongoing sanctification, our growing closer to God, our growing in holiness, is becoming aware of just how far short we fall of reaching perfection. If we think we are becoming perfect, if we think I'm not really with that much sin, the fact is that until the resurrection, we're going to be at war with our sins, with our sinful desires. Galatians chapter 5 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Seeing sin, we must fight it. And seeing that sin must be fought against, it's no wonder that these people were daily together. Because sin has a strong pull. And these people had just been radically changed from a life that they were completely used to to something brand new. And the pull of the world was still there for them, for some people. They may have left their families. They may have left their villages. And there's pressure on them. Come back. What are you doing with this new cult? What in the world is going on with you? Come back over here to the village. Worship the gods that we've always worshipped. Get back on with the normal life. So they were meeting together daily. Not just to learn, but to encourage one another. Because they were about to go through a serious persecution. 
a drastic fire. And if they had not been fellowshipping together, if they had not seen themselves as one in Jesus Christ, then when the persecution comes and the trials come, they're like the seeds that are sown in the thorns and the cares of the world come or tribulation comes and it chokes them away and there is no fruit. But we see further on in the book of Acts that these seeds were planted in the good ground because the persecution came, the fire came, and they produced much fruit because in the persecution of this first church who is dedicated to hearing the doctrine, who is dedicated to one another, who is dedicated to the breaking of bread and dedicated to prayers, we see the church grow like a wildfire. When the persecution starts, they get stronger Because they were already fellowshipping with one another. They had already agreed to partner with one another. Because they had been drastically changed. Worshiping God is to be our daily work. Now that doesn't mean we all come to this building and we have a church service every day. But where there's opportunity, we should. Where there's an opportunity to worship, we should. When the church doors are open, we should gladly be there. Now, I understand there are things that can keep us away. There's sickness. I'm glad that all of our sick families did not show up today. But we miss them when they're not here. There's a time not to be here in situations like that. But when we are healthy and these doors are open, we should not begrudgingly, with our shoulders hung down, come to the church dragging our feet. And I'm guilty. I've been there. Like, man, it's Wednesday night. It's late. I'm hungry and I want to go to bed. I had a long day at work. And I've come in on a Wednesday night hoping it goes quick. But if you know me and Brother Mike, it never goes quick on a Wednesday night. But we should come in with much joy. The church doors are open. Yes, I'll be there. There's a fellowship gathering. Of course I'll be there. Where else would I want to be? That's the attitude this church had. But sadly, we don't see that a lot. And sadly, in my own life, I see that happening. Where I'm not running to be in the fellowship. I'm finding this excuse for that excuse. I've got to get the kids to bed. We're about to go on this trip, so I can't do that. I had a long day at work. No, this church was gladly together daily. They were gladly doing this together And any time that they could, they were publicly worshiping together. And they did this because they were of one accord, as it says later on in that chapter. Not only no discord or strife, but a great deal of holy love was among these people. They gladly joined together in their public services. So they met with the Jews in the the courts of the temple. Yet the Christians kept together by themselves in the temple... And they were unanimous in their separate devotions. So they were still going to the temple. The rest of the Jews that hadn't been converted were also still doing what? Going to the temple to worship. Well, these people were still worshiping at the temple too. That might have been kind of a sight. You've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are upset that this new sect is growing. And they're going into the temple to worship. And they look over there and there's those... Twelve apostles over there causing problems again. And now they brought 3,000 people with them over here into our temple. And they're worshiping the man that we wanted to get rid of the most. 
But they went to the temple because that's what they were taught to do. But then they didn't stop there. They started to get together in each other's houses because they realized that that temple was not the only place that they could worship. That they were the body of Christ. That they were the church. This building, as thankful as we are for it, as beautiful as it is, is not a church. It is a building. You are the church. God forbid if this building burnt down, we would still be the church. No matter where we worship, we are the church. And they realized this and they said, let's get together in my house and worship. Now let's go to my house and worship. Now let's go to this house and worship. And now let's go back to the temple and worship because they realized that they were the body of Christ. That it wasn't about the brick and mortar and stones. That it was about them being the temple. They were the temple of the Holy Ghost. And they were the body of Christ. But when they did go to the temple, I love this thought. When they did go to the temple to worship, what it was designed in an idea to be, that the house of the Father is what it was, and it became the home of man is what it was intended to be, for the Father and man to meet there at the temple. But, but they realized that they, they were the New Testament. They were the new covenant. Jeremiah 31 spoke of this new covenant. And they are seeing that new covenant fulfilled in their own lives right then. Man, if, for those that were Jewish, those that knew the scriptures, can you imagine what they started thinking when they realized they were the Jeremiah 31 covenant opening up right there in their own lives? How exciting would that have been? And then, you know what they probably did? Hey, Greek brother that knows nothing about this old scripture, guess what it foretold of thousands of years ago? That's you and me. We're the new covenant. We're the new church. That's exciting stuff. And our second point here. In this fellowship, they continually were breaking bread. Now, there was a deep sense of unity, and there was a delight in their fellowship. They loved it. They loved to be together. They met together. They instinctively sought to be together. And they saw each other as equals with one another. There wasn't the rich and the poor, the, the famous and the least famous, whatever words you want to think of. They saw them all, all as redeemed sinners. Everybody there, everybody there was a redeemed sinner who had been before destined to eternal judgment and condemnation, no matter what their worldly status was. No matter how wealthy or poor they were, no matter their position, their job, no matter their nationality, their background, they all saw each other as redeemed. People who had an eternal judgment of condemnation removed from them because of Jesus Christ. They were now all destined to eternal kinship with one another. The Greek, the Egyptian, the Jewish, the American, the European. Take your pick. We are all in an eternal kinship 
with one another through the blood of Christ. Bought with the same blood of Christ. Knowing this and having it, the sacrifice of redemption of Jesus Christ, so fresh on their minds because it had just happened, they regularly met to break bread. Now the breaking of bread certainly did not mean simply the taking of ordinary meals from day to day. We'll see that further on in the chapter where it talks about how they were breaking bread day to day. But what it's talking about here in this verse is very important. It's distinct because it goes through the ordinances of the church. They were repented and they baptized and then they did what? They devoted themselves to the preaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. That is what we are to be, church. We're to be a church that listens to preaching and is devoted to it. We're to be a church that fellowships and has communion with one another. And we're to be a church that breaks bread, meaning the Lord's Supper. And we're to be a church that prays. That is what we as the church are supposed to be. So I believe that this first instance of calling out the breaking of bread is specifically talking about the Lord's Supper. Now that may have turned into almost a daily communion meal in their homes. And you know what? That's okay. They were worshiping together every day in each other's homes. So if they started to have a Lord's Remembrance Supper every day in that worship service, great, that's awesome. They were remembering the Lord's sacrifice for them because it was so fresh upon their, on the, upon their hearts and their minds. But the breaking of the bread here denotes something more than just that ordinary meal. It's the Lord's Supper, or what we call our communion meal. The breaking of the bread here referred to that united meal that they had together. And this, the particular significance of it. But these um, regular services, the, the fulfilling of, of beating, being together daily of encouraging each other daily. They were fulfilling future scripture of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25 is anticipation of what's going on right now in this first century church when it says they considered one another to provoke unto the love and to good works. And they did not forsake the assembling of themselves together for that very purpose. So before Hebrews was written, this first century church was doing what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us as a church to do, to love each other, to commune to one, with one another, to not forsake, to be together. And so they continued in the breaking of the bread and the celebrating that memorial of their master's death because they weren't ashamed. They were glad in that death because what it brought them in their own relation to that death and their dependence on what happened upon that cross of Jesus Christ crucified. They couldn't forget the death of Christ, but they kept up the memorial of it by the breaking of the bread often with one another. They made it a constant practice. And this is a duty for us also as a church. The breaking of the bread, the communion supper that we have, the Lord's supper that we have, is it's not optional as a church. This is something that we as the members of the body of Christ, are called to do. It is an ordinance of the church. It's an important, an important service. 
Because there's something that we do here in the Lord's Supper. When we are remembering His sacrifice, we are going to remember it until He takes us home. We should always be bringing it back into remembrance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, He also took the cup, after supper, saying, This is the cup and the new covenant in my blood. This do often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So in their constant breaking of the bread, they were proclaiming the Lord's death. They were declaring the Lord's death and what it had done upon them. They were bringing it to remembrance. And the people that were seeing them do this were also reminded that Jesus Christ, whom they thought was a man, had died upon a cross, was buried, and was raised again, and he was seen by over 500 people. And then he ascended into the clouds, and his people are following him in the way, and they are bringing it to often remembrance. When we as the church come together for this communion, for the breaking of the bread, we all come equally as those who have been lost, but now have been found, and in that we rejoice over the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, 19-22 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. And that's what they're doing in the breaking of the bread. And that's what we're doing in the breaking of the bread is remembering that we now have been reconciled in the body of His flesh through His death with the hope and the promise of being presented before God holy and blameless and above reproach in the sight of God. We all come acknowledging that we're sinners. We know that we are saved by the grace of God and reconciled to Him through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that is what unites us as a church. And that is what united this first century church as a church, is that remembrance and that unity of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ over us. 1 Corinthians 10 says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body for Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. That sacrifice of Jesus Christ has made all of His people one. He has made all of them a partnership. All of them the fellowship. All of His people the koinonia. And we in that small part here in Heritage have the blessing of being a part of that greater fellowship of the body of Christ. Coming together as one body. But what is important during this breaking of bread 
is that we do not contaminate the body in that breaking of bread. The breaking of the bread gives us an opportunity to do something. It gives you the opportunity to examine yourself in the breaking of the bread. Now this communion shows unity. But it's also a call to purge sins. To examine ourselves. And in doing so we help in purifying the sins of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, Therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this church to grow, to be healthy, even under the preaching of godly doctrine, there has to regularly be a confrontation of our own sins. We do this by remembering the cross. By being devoted to the cross and the meaning of it. And then when we look to the cross, we are then able to confront our sins and address our sins. We cannot sweep them aside. We cannot hide our sins in a closet. And then come to the communion table and act like we're okay. We have been called out of darkness and into light. We have not been called to hide a little sliver of darkness in our heart. We have been called to come out of that darkness, to be children of the kingdom of light. And this Lord's Supper is a perfect opportunity to look inward and say, Lord, am I hiding sin? Am I willingly living in a sin? Am I willingly excusing a sin? For the church to grow and to be healthy... We must do this. We must confront sin. I think that's what Paul says in Galatians 6.14, that God forbid that I will glory in anything except for the cross of Jesus Christ. So this regular memorial meal that's called the breaking of bread, it's a time for us to examine ourselves, to rid ourselves of sin. This examine here in this text means to test, to prove, to scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine or not, to recognize as genuine after examination, and to deem worthy. To scrutinize, to see whether it's, it's actually worth something. You know, in the old days they used to have those, uh, uh, I don't remember what they're called, a bull nickel or something. But they would pass money around and you wanted to see if it was fake. So you see in the cowboy movies they bite on the coin to see if it's good or not. They're examining the coin to see if it's fake or not. We need to be about testing ourselves, examining ourselves. Am I being genuine in my repentance of my sin? Or am I just acting like I hate my sin? Am I coming in on Sunday and saying, yes, I know, yes, I really shouldn't like that sin, so today I don't like it. And then on Monday we're like, oh, i got six more days before I have to really hate that sin again. Or are we truly testing our hate for sin and our love for Christ. That's what that examine here in that verse is talking about, to examine ourselves. So we church need to be about examining ourselves when we come to the communion table. Looking inward. Purging ourselves of our sins. Because this communion table brings about the remembrance of the cost of those sins. 
So let's, let's end here. The next uh, one will be on uh, the dedicated church that's dedicated to prayer. But let's just, we see here a brand new church. Something never before done. This group of saints were, they were the forerunners for you and I. They were models for, for us, what we should be. And so they embarked on this new way and they set ablaze a world with a light that cannot be quenched. But they did it together. They did it in unity. But this unity wasn't just a unity. This was a unity based on a solid foundation. Based on the apostles' doctrine through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was their foundation for this fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for the prayers. This fellowship, this breaking of bread were based on and encouraged by and grown through the dedication that they had to that gospel message. So may we be a church that's so dedicated to the Word, to each other as brothers and sisters, as partners of this same inheritance. And I pray that we truly see each other as the body of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this first century church, for their dedication, for their zeal, for their just extreme excitement to be able to worship with people of like-minded faith, knowing that they were bought by the same precious blood of Jesus Christ and that they were now eternal kinsmen. Lord, may we be a church that is so dedicated and so zealous that, Lord, we cannot help but want to be together as a church. That we would truly would be a partnership, a fellowship of believers that is there to hold one another accountable, that is there to be reprimanded if need be, but is also, Lord, there to be encouraged, to pray for, to witness to and with, to go out into this community around us that needs Your Word so much. May we as a church go out there together and truly be those birds of a feather that flock together. May we be a true fellowship for Jesus Christ. And may this church be a beacon, a light, in a dark world where people can see hope in Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.